will start recording and it's Brigham Young Money, aka r slash vasectomy slash boys chat gone wild with Ain't Colin Ain't nobody gonna tell me how to live. That's right. That's, That's right. absolutely my, right. My booster uh, may or may not have made me sterile, but the surgery, it better have worked. That's just a double whammy, man. Yeah. Are you maybe the first person who's gotten a vasectomy and also the COVID vaccine? It's hard to say. Probably. The vasectomy? Honestly, I I never thought about it until I got the booster. Uh, I think it's directly correlated. I think the booster caused it. I think it's the the mind control, the government mind control getting to me. Colin got got sick G and then all of a sudden decided to... Decided to go to Snipsville. You got Dick's G. Nice. <laughs> hey. So Colin is here with us, our sweet dear friend, Dr. Colin. He's here and he's freshly snipped. We got Greg. We got Jordan. How are we doing, my my dear, sweet, sweet friends? I had a peanut butter granola bar for dinner. Dude, that's that's some dad shit. I like that for you. Well, I have that Kid Rock song stuck in my head now, so I guess that's how <laughs> yeah. I'm doing. I had a so I took a I took a nap before this. Um, I don't and I hate taking naps. I don't I don't know why. Like I always feel awful after I take naps, but whatever. Um, maybe it's just like the ten minutes after I wake up is when I feel bad. I feel fine now, but I was laying on my couch and I was listening to day eight of the Ghislaine Maxwell recap from Truanon, and I just fell asleep. But in my dream, I was th- I I was. Had some Kid Rock influence, and so I woke up and I was just like, I got to listen to that song. So I've been listening to that song and just analyzing the video ever since I woke up until now. And uh, I'm on. I honestly think it's good. I think it's good, and I'm glad he made it. And I really enjoy listening to it. And he joined the space race. I enjoy the space race quite a bit. I like the on the um, just flying over Mount Rushmore on a giant middle finger is something I would like to do. So I'm envious of Kid Rock. American I wish dream. I grew up with the tennis courts in his yard that he had, but I didn't. But I can still appreciate his music for what it is, which uh, is just no bullshit, real tough guy talk from a guy with who looks like like him. And I love it. You know, what? I, I still find it funny that in contrast to that song is – his song only God knows why, which is from him, like spending four hours in the County jail once because of like a fight at a bar. Like, Damn. <laughs> yeah. Real hard ass energy there. I didn't even know what's that, what that, that's what that was about. Well, all I know honestly, is I also had a great post today, which is just pretty much like a little sign at a Vegas buffet that said, please don't feed yourself while in line. And then just <laughs> it suppose that with ain't nobody going to tell me how to live. And it's just America. That's just American I, energy right I, there. It really is. Our buffet is still I, I like I feel like one of the unspoken victims of COVID uh, is the, the humble buffet. And I feel like I haven't. I don't know. I feel like they let people tell you how to live. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. As, as one of the pussies of the next generation, Kyle, um, that's, that's why you haven't been there. So I know they, they didn't give me a participation trophy. So I didn't show up to the, the, the fucking buffet, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. I don't know if buffets are as popular as they once were. Like, is anyone, you guys, big, uh, Chuckarama heads, uh, Colin, I can see it. No, I I don't like lukewarm food that's just left underneath a lamp 
I don't know, man. Lamp food is pretty good. I feel like. Wait, wait what's another buffet place? Go- Golden, Golden Corral. Corral. Those are the only two I'm aware of. No, I'm definitely not a buffet guy. No interest in in your standard buffet unless I'm in like Vegas doing the buffet, and then maybe. Okay, what's the difference between? Okay, here's the thing about a Vegas buffet. Like, I I, I can think of like four times in my childhood where I got like really sick from food. Uh, one of them, I was eating Cheetos, so I don't like Cheetos, and I haven't since I was like four. Another time was uh, I was at I was in Vegas for I don't even know why I was there, but it was with like a group of like family friends or whatever. And we were at a buffet, and one of the kids I was with, like I, I was probably like twelve. One of the other kids who was there, who was probably about my age or maybe a year older. He was just like eating the most disgusting combination of food I'd ever seen. Like he was eating like like crab and like Mountain Dew with chocolate ice cream in it. And like I was just like looking Utah meal. What are you talking about? Yeah, but I was just like watching him eat it. And I'm pretty sure just simply just being aware of the combination of foods he was like putting in his mouth. Like he'd probably spaghetti and like, yeah. But so you you think about a layer of Dungeness crab spaghetti and a little bit of a dessert mountain dew to top it off and i think i just watched him do that and then, i love like, dessert dew threw up my entire everything that i'd eaten up to up until that point which wasn't those things but was but it to, to be fair, working back on it was it actually sarah yes yeah i could see was. sarah doing something like that especially I, with the crab yeah or, lobs, lobster sorry she can't do the crab she can eat the lobster yeah and then sarah had a whole plate of cookies also on top of all of that <laughs> Do you guys think there's like a Mountain Dew sommelier or anything like that? Like <laughs> 1994 Baja Blast. This is from the uh, Temecula region of California. <laughs> this pairs really uh, well with a code red. <laughs> Dude, to be fair, everything it's pairs well with a code red. It's okay. just a quesarito. <laughs> Oh my gosh! But to be fair, Kyle, you can eat like three things, and it's I, like it's like ice yogurt and like that is true. Iceberg I can't I I can't eat normal yogurt. That's for damn sure. I eat I eat like almond milk yogurt. That's something I eat. Yeah, you're right. So I, I don't know. I don't know if I actually have like uh, ex- extreme food allergies or if I've just been scarred into this by watching <laughs> just other been seared into your brain. Yeah, I, it's, I, it's honestly hard to say. I just it's remember fight the, or flight mechanism. the worst thing I ever saw at a buffet was I was at the Golden Corral in Logan, Utah with my dad. And I saw oh no. an eight-year-old child put face entirely into the chocolate fountain. <laughs> oh, no. And then no one seemed really concerned about it afterwards. So. Like he's fucking Augustus Gloop. Yeah. Oh, ex- no. Oh, no. Yes, exactly. Incredible. Oh. Yeah. He's living all of our eight-year-old dreams. <laughs> I mean, who among us didn't want to, I guess, but I don't know. Yeah. That's my chocolate fondue. Yeah, that's that is eight-year-old Greg's absolute fantasy. That would be yeah. the perfect way for me to go out. I, I've been to like weddings where they had a chocolate fondue thing, and I was like, Gross. I don't know about this, guys. You know? I I mean, I just I, I don't know about it. Yeah, the the post-COVID like reassessment of a lot of practices, like pretty much no no yeah i think i'm fine without that i'm a lot of spittle yeah yeah for sure lots of just like shared saliva public saliva gatherings like we 
it was weird. So Colin and I were in Portland over the weekends and I honestly felt like it was like the the pandemic is actually still going on there. Like people actually like wore masks. It was fascinating. I felt like I was in an entirely different world versus like what it's like here where uh, like coming back, I went to Costco today and I was just like, I was just like looking around and uh, yeah, pretty, pretty different situation we've got going over here. I'd say Colin, I don't know if that was your experience. That was, it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's a little different. It turns out. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, lots of masks, uh, which was neat. I, uh, the thing I thought when I was flying home was that I actually never want to not wear a mask at an airport again. Like masks should just stay on airplanes uh, yeah. because they are disgusting in retrospect. <laughs> now that I have been on them with a mask, I'm like, I can't believe we ever did this without it. Yeah. I, You're in a metal tube with like hundreds of other gross people. Just the f- breathing airborne. everyone's air. Just a, but a petri dish, but yeah, off the yeah, ground. I don't, I don't care yeah. what Bethany Mandel said in the Deseret News today. I don't care. <laughs> Masks yeah. and planes forever. <laughs> yeah, I I was like, I can't remember. Oh, it was it was this year. It was during. Uh, it was like when we were things were looking good. It was before Delta moved in, and like they had just like relieved a ton of like restrictions everywhere. And I was in L.A. and uh, um. I was flying home and uh, I was at the airport and I was just like, LAX is just a really tough airport to be at sometimes. And I was in like one of those, like how they have those gates that are just like the big, like octagon things. And I was just in there just like obsessively looking around at everyone. And I think there were masks, but I was like so stressed out by how many people were there. I just like, fully panicked and like ran outside and I ended up going through security twice just because like I didn't I couldn't be in there anymore around as many people as I was and I've realized that I'm just uh I need a participation trophy for society again because I just fucking suck at existing in this at this point but hey we're having fun though things are things are looking up I guess if by up I mean like down and it's going bad but it's okay you guys and remember the 4th of July, how cool that was when we thought things were going to go back to normal. And then they loved, that, loved that for us. And then like by September, we were in a four digit case numbers a day again. And I'm then Spencer we, Cox and I'm going to burn my mask. And then we yeah, never went back. That? Can you, I mean, the amount of shenanigans Spencer Cox was up to toward, toward the, what we thought was going to be the end of the pandemic. And he was just like, I don't know why I'm hearing all of this negativity from Washington regarding uh, what the summer and fall are going to look like. And here, here, here we are. It's, Man, it's cool. When that vaccine came out and it looked like that was about it for COVID and all that fun stuff, he was acting like he was such a big dick baller. Like it, it was incredible. That was like the, you know what? We're towards the end. We did everyone this vaccine. It's a blessing from God and we yeah. got it. And then of course we screwed the pooch again. So yeah, well, I think it's, it's official that more people have died in 2021 than 2020. Right. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think I yeah. saw something like the one third of all deaths from COVID for Utah have happened in like the last three months. Yeah. I mean, we're hitting like close to awesome. some 15 to 20 a day. Yeah. We're, we're higher now than we were uh this time last year at pretty much any time 
during yeah. the pandemic. Like we never had like 15, 20. we had a couple of days of like 20, but that was about it. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good, uh, good tone to move us into Greg's segment here. The hell lines, Greg, why don't you fire us off and we'll see how we feel at the other end of this before we get into tonight's main story. Well, since we're on the topic of death, I guess we should probably just go ahead and say RIP to Roe Ro v. Wade, because that's about to uh, be overturned. Mississippi Tur- Attorney General Lynn Finch is defending her state's 15-week abortion ban and is taking the case to the Supreme Court. Uh, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization concerns a Mississippi ban on all abortions after 15 weeks. Far before the viability threshold set in Roe, which protects the rights to abortion until 23 or 24 weeks and longer in in certain cases. She believes abortion bans, like the six-week ban in Texas, empower women, drawing from her own experience as a single mother of three after she divorced her husband in 2004. What people don't know is Lynn Fitch worked as a bond attorney and as the Mississippi State Treasurer before she became Mississippi's AG. The average treasury salary is $191,012. She also lived on a family farm uh, that she still lives there, I should say, on the quote family farm, aka the Galena or Galena Plantation. It's an 8,000 acre estate that still hosts plantation weddings to this day. Her father also has KKK ties. Of course. Well, it's Mississippi. So, I mean, if you have a plantation in Mississippi, there's a good chance that you... 8,000 acres! Yeah, definitely someone in your family wore sheets at one time or another, so... Yeah, and like, but she talks about like, she uses that that typical anecdote of like, well, I did it, why can't you? Despite Mississippi having the highest rate of poverty in the nation. And the thing that, that that's fucking me up the most about this is that women of color will especially suffer from this decision. And it's hard to think that Lynn Fitch, who still rents out her family farm for plantation weddings, really gives a shit. And, and ultimately, this is going to come down to the rulings of accused rapist Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Kobe Bryant. So once again uh republicans are going to win and democrats have no one to blame but themselves yeah and like both of them were on the whole what like law or like laws that have been settled have been settled right like they were of that whole thing but of course like (laughs) no of course not yeah am i supposed to fucking believe what brett kavanaugh says yeah they're both federalist society judges like they're they're put there to to do this to take this shit down so and there's a few yeah. other things about this that kind of just skirt underneath it too because everyone's acting like this is the thing like well no not really because first of all like abortion's been functionally illegal in most red states for like the last 20 years anyway like this like, is just you the, know how hard it is to get an abortion in utah yeah, yeah. and it's probably it's easier possible and it's probably easier in utah than it is in a lot of states like for example yeah. like texas has like two abortion yeah. clinics Louisiana's last one closed last year and all these states have pretty much been like one or two for pretty large states too. So you have these states that pretty much make it that if you're not of any sort of like wealth or ability when it comes to like your income or anything like that you're just not getting one you can't it's functionally impossible yeah that's what it's going to boil down to is ultimately like abortion is going to be a luxury for rich people. 
And this yeah. could have been solved at any point in the last, I don't know how long the Democrats had control because all they had to do was codify it to federal law. Never happened. Yeah. Not going to happen I mean, here. Not Obama, not fucking up the Merrick Garland uh, nomination, actually getting RBG to step down when she's 80 something with a history of cancer. Like the Democrats have nobody to blame but themselves but of course all we're seeing online again is thanks a lot bernie thank you susan sarandon i know you wanted a revolution listen i don't greg i don't think you're being fair because i think uh when i think about what i could have done during that time i think i could have voted harder um (laughs) and when i when i think about how hard i should have voted uh i feel bad i do feel some some personal responsibility um, for this all happening. Yeah. If, if only the four of us would have voted harder, uh, Joe Biden would have only lost Utah by like 19 and a half points as opposed to the 20. I mean, I, I keep, I, I keep letting the election officials know I voted 37 times and, I know. and they won't come to my door to validate my ballots. They're all fake. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. The, the Utah, if you're listening, I illegally voted 36 times. <laughs> And no one will stop him, but he shouldn't be stopped because this is what happens when all of us don't do that. I simply, I did not do that. I just watched like all of Susan Sarandon's entire movie like credits and I I can't even watch Thelma and Louise again. I know, man. Ever again. It's terrible. Like I tried watching uh, the 2013 cult classic film Snitch and it's just, it's just not happening. Uh, Unfortunately, because of that. Starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson and John Bernthal and, of course, Susan Sarandon and the late Michael K. Williams. Uh, because I watched that that many times, this is the, the the reality that we're dealing with and looking at here. So I, it's my fault for empowering Susan Sarandon to do what she's done. I, I watched Bull Durham. And I feel bad <laughs> because I platformed both Susan Sarandon and Tim Robbins. And I just don't think I can. Damn. Well, it's just now all it's your absolutely, fault, man. It, it's definitely more Jordan's fault than anyone but else's, I think. At the end of the it day, like, I, I'm sure like everyone's looking to four white guys from Utah to talk about abortion rights. Um, I know. But it also kind of falls in line with our judiciary anyway, so whatever. Um, yep, we're just matching what's been put up against us in this state. And it, like, I've seen it a lot of places, too. Like Ben Shapiro said, like, well, people in Texas can still just go to Mexico and get one. And people like in pro-life advocates in Utah said, like, well, people can go to Nevada and do it. But when you can't afford like a, a fucking bus pass, like you're not going to another state to get an abortion. Again, yeah. like it's it's turning it into a luxury. It is. And it, and, and that's pretty much what it comes down to for most rights nowadays, too, is, is that conservatives like no matter what, it's all going to boil down to whether or not you have the means to actually do it. And that kind of has gone for most things in this country too, whether it's buying a house or having any sort of autonomy over your body at all, it's going to come down to what's your net worth because that's kind of what America is now. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say just on record really quickly about the Susan Sarandon thing is that if your candidate, your presidential candidate who run a billion dollar campaign can somehow get railroaded by a 70 year old actress, that candidate never should have run in the first place. Shut the fuck up forever. Greg, Greg, how dare you? It wasn't just a 70 year old actress. It was also a holistic healer and a thousand dollars worth of Instagram ads. That's right. (laughs) 
hundred percent. Okay, fair. The three I, most oh powerful, powerful forces in American politics. <laughs> did you guys Susan Sarandon and Instagram? Guys, did you see the video of Hillary Clinton reading her acceptance I, speech? I'm not watching that. I refuse to watch that. I saw you you guys share that. I'm not watching it, and it's not it's not gonna happen. I saw multiple people post that online. I'm not looking at it. We're not talking about it. We no. are twenty-three days away from twenty twenty-two. Greg, take us continue. I can't think about I can't think about that. I just, clip. Uh, the only thing I, I saw that it was a thing. I didn't watch it, but I just went, who is this for? Who I, I really don't I really could not Bunch imagine anyone wanting sickos, to watch that. Man. I really don't understand. People who I, have descent you... collar uh earrings. Um I don't know uh, the people who bought the Cuomo sexual mugs. I don't know. Like a lot of people <laughs> like political sickos. lost causes, man. I mean, dude, all the people who are like losing their shit about CNN firing C- Chris Cuomo, like they are legitimately like there it's, are it's them. It's them. It, they're so insane. Like there are people who are like, oh, my God, like this is an absolute shame. I'm going to MSNBC like Chris Cuomo was the last reason I was watching CNN and now he has been fired. And Blue MAGA, man, it's for Blue the record, MAGA. like. So, yeah, Chris, Chris Cuomo was fired from CNN uh, because he was. Essentially, well, there was going to be some stuff coming out about him and his own interpersonal uh, actions with with women. But um, he he was essentially digging up using his his uh, resources to dig up dirt on his brother, the governor of New York's accusers. Um, And again, he used like the entire like first year of the pandemic to just like run cover for that same brother while he like just murdered old people in nursing homes, which is fine apparently by CNN standards and like all society at whole standards, because, uh, you know, we would have to acknowledge that that was a terribly evil thing to have happen, which apparently it was not, but you can't escape uh, sexual harassment luckily enough. And so he has gone down. So the people defending him, that's who that video was for bunch of absolute sickos. All right, Greg. Let's talk uh, more about things dying because uh, I'm pretty sure that mail-in ballots are uh, the next thing to go in this state. So today from the uh, Salt Lake Tribune, Utah lawmakers are pushing for an election integrity audit, saying a review would help put doubts about the state's voting system, quote, too bad. This is backed primarily by Senate Majority Leader Mike Schultz. He drew scorn and made headlines when he signed on to a controversial letter from Arizona Senator Wendy Rogers, who is, of course, an oath keeper, uh, (laughs) calling for an audit of all 50 states. Both Spencer Cox and Deidre Henderson have said there's no evidence of election fraud in Utah. I mean, ultimately, it's just the latest iteration to stoke distrust in the voting process and push like this, you know, push the big lie that that Trump was a real winner of the the 2020 election. And despite there not being any evidence, they're going to try to change everything and make things even more difficult on top of the gerrymandering so they can continue to wield power in this state. Um time you know in time and a memorial you know what's crazy to me i was thinking i was thinking like i saw someone bring up something similar online but you know how like ennis Cantor was doing his whole like why do people complain about america like it's the best place in the entire world or whatever like blah 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 i, I like how like all the right wingers like sign on to that line of thinking but then at, they simultaneously hold the belief that like our entire democracy has been stolen through like the 2020 election and that like 
you shouldn't be complaining about America if you talk about like racial justice or something like that or cops murdering people. But you should talk about how America sucks when they are willing to apparently steal the entire election on the backs of all this fraud that took place. And when we inevitably, when our legislature inevitably drafts up something to kill our mail-in voting system, it's going to be very fascinating to see how Spencer Cox justifies uh, not vetoing that one as well, even though he's bragged at length about our mail-in voting system. That's going to be awesome. I'm very looking, I'm very much looking forward to that. Well, you can see that in every statement like Deidre Henderson and Spencer Cox makes about this issue too, because it always comes with that caveat. Well, there are reasonable concerns to have about our elections. You know, we run a very accurate and uh, same stuff. Like, yeah, it's never, it's never just like, no, this didn't happen. Shut the fuck up. It's always quote today. Her quote today was something about how, like, you know, we, we welcome the audition process or, uh, auditing process uh you know and but you know there's no evidence of widespread fraud or something like that what's like well don't welcome it then exactly don't even entertain it like all you have to do is say no we're not going to do this shut the fuck up it's stupid stop wasting our time and our taxpayer money yeah 100 percent. but we're just going to pay for it because uh that's what we do here so looking forward to that audit it's going to be great Speaking of paying for things, uh, last night, the Senate voted 60 to 37 to block a bill that would stop the U.S. from selling arms, mostly air-to-air missiles, to Saudi Arabia. Republicans, of course, voted in lockstep, and uh, Democrats were split on the on the vote. Um, of course, America is one of the main contributors and arms dealers to the war in Yemen. And in a recent Data for Progress poll, only 25% of Americans support these sales. So again, wildly unpopular, doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, shout yeah. out to Senator Chris Murphy for selling out all of his uh, ideals to vote for this bill, by the way. Yeah, he was like on Twitter a few months ago arguing with Ken Klippenstein about how like he actually doesn't support this kind of thing. He's like, I wouldn't support it unless they, quote, change their behavior. And uh, literally nothing has changed. Um, But I'm looking forward to Ennis Cantor's comment on this situation as well. Surely that's coming any day. And I'm sure he has no problems with critiquing the uh, Saudi Arabian genocide that's taking place in Yemen because... um, Oh, wait, fuck. Okay, never mind. The CIA is on board with that one. The State Department is on board. So, yeah, never mind. Probably won't be seeing that on his pair of like ugly ass white top sneakers that he'll be sitting on the bench with. Yeah, his his next sneakers will be F-35s are okay for the Gulf states, but not for Turkey. (laughs) Dude, (laughs) I I was watching. I was I was watching the Lakers play fucking Celtics last night and I was so annoyed listening to them have to say Ennis Freedom or whatever it's and it's even it's funnier because so he corny, sucks man. like he sucks so it's like it's even funnier that's like oh Freedom misses at the rim and it's like yeah dude it does miss at the rim <laughs> my Twitter my Twitter header right now is from the uh, Celtic Sixers game last week <laughs> and it just says Joel Embiid blocks Freedom <laughs> I love it yes he does yeah um yeah, that's pretty insane. I mean, that's another one of those things that's like the like broken clock thing with Mike Lee. Like he and Bernie Sanders have tried to like put a stop to this like multiple times. This is like probably like the fifth year in a row we've done this where we've essentially like sold arms to them. And they've both like sponsored bills in order to stop this from happening. And it just like 
Doesn't matter. No. <laughs> this is this is like for as much as I hate Mike Lee, and there's a lot of reasons to hate him. I'm like, would Evan McMullen really be better? Because he would definitely. This would be like a easy yes for him. Oh, he would exactly. totally. <laughs> he would absolutely be on board. Yeah, yeah I mean, they, they vote for the exact same things, except probably this. And this is like Mike Lee do, doesn't like this. Fundamentally, yeah, you're right. They're fundamentally yeah. the same politicians and they believe all the same bullshit. One of them just happens to be a CIA spook. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is something too. Like whenever he got, whenever I said, whenever I said on Twitter too, it was like, I Mike Lee is actually probably better than Evan McMullen and everyone got indignant. It's because Mike Lee actually holds some views like, like Rand Paul does as well too. Just like, yeah, there's certain like criminal justice reform things he wants to see done. There's certain like anti-war stances he takes that are actually logical and probably good for America that Evan McMullen will never have. Yeah. Like Evan McMullen called torture a gray area. Like you're telling me he's (laughs) going to be good about criminal justice reform. Yeah, yeah, that that gray area known as Abu Ghraib. Yeah, I said yep. guys that gray area. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, man, this, that's uh, yeah, Colin, you're spot on. It's like, uh, yeah, this is this is getting a resounding yes from both uh, Utah State senators if one of them is is Evan McMullen because God knows Mitt Romney voted for this, of course. So, yeah, moving on. So this is kind of the. Uh, theme of the episode so i wanted to leave it last because it it delves into the main topic for tonight but uh i don't know if you guys know this but utah kind of hates poor people no i'll i'll explain it's i know it's a it's a lot to uh digest right now but this was from a report from the solid tribune and the economic hardship reporting project utah will continue paying landlords for application assistance but stop funding advocacy groups or advocacy groups and in this wonderful state application fees can run up to two hundred dollars on top of all of this utah only dispersed 39 percent of its federal rental assistance by the fall deadline uh, Utah was required to have spent or allocated at least 65% of those funds toward rent relief by September 30th. Department of Workforce Services has dispersed just 22% in Salt Lake City and 39% overall all throughout the state. Uh, instead, Utah put just one-fifth of the $150 million in federal emergency rental assistance it received into the hands of needy renters. Report also says the DWS has uh, used nearly $200,000 of that money in special federal rent assistance funds to pay the lawyers of landlords to cover eviction fees. And this is being spearheaded by uh, Republican State Senator Kirk Cullimore Jr. And he and his father, or both principals in the states are the states the state's leading eviction law firm yeah he represents like uh the last apartment complex i lived in like all of the tenant like lease agreement papers i signed were from his law firm (laughs) he represents like a lot of different apartment and uh, management companies in salt lake as well so anytime i see his like is that fucking nuts where like he's literally a state senator and he's also uh like the lead of this law firm. <laughs> like how, would, how the fuck is that legal? Like, how is that no, not a conflict of interest? I have no idea. It's so they insane. They made Jimmy Carter sell his farm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys, you guys didn't tell me you were going to have me on to uh, talk bad about the housing provider class. 
Um, they provide a great yeah. service in providing housing. Um, <laughs> and really, I don't, program. I don't think you guys have been uh, thought enough about landlords during this pandemic. I certainly haven't. And there, the views that are expressed on this program do not represent the views of those on this podcast today who have um, got a, gotten a vasectomy. So they're job <laughs> creators. I, I here's 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 a great quote, guys. The last thing we want to see is the state disproportionately funding renter advocacy programs, said Paul Smith, head of the Utah Apartment Association, complaining that too much money was going to nonprofits that assist renters in applying for funds instead of to landlords. Okay. Okay. Ultimately, this, this is just, you know... These landlords saw a giant pile of federal money and they're going to stop at nothing to get their hands on it while continuing to step on the necks of the poor amidst a a global pandemic. And if that doesn't sum up the Utah way, folks, I don't know what does. We've been learning a lot about the Utah way lately, and I simply have to say that I'm loving it. I'm loving everything that's happening. This theme of Utah receiving all of this money that they are able to disperse to help people and choosing to not do that is something. Where did the gonna... money go? Hey, why I don't know if you guys where is it? I, I don't know if you guys saw this, but like in October there was an article in the Tribune as well that talked about how like the renters uh, like the rent defense fund for like for like tenant defense for lawyers was actually going to reimburse uh landlords yeah. for for uh, services on uh, evictions, which is an amazing thing too. And there's a great quote in there too that pretty much sums up everything too. And it's from Nate McDonald from the Department of Workforce Services who says, that helps the tenant, but it doesn't help the landlord. That's who we have to satisfy to end the eviction, McDonald said, referring to landlords. Like that says everything about Utah right there too. It's it's always, it's always the money more than it is the people, so. For sure. Well, if you talk to anyone in this market who's like tried to rent and stuff, it's it's a nightmare. Yeah. Like, like people will pay two hundred dollars of fees and all this, and they'll not hear like anything back. They'll just be like, "You were denied." So like, this yeah. two hundred dollars you paid to put in an application on this apartment, nothing ever happens. You just paid just the money and it's robbery. gone. It's it's criminal. It's, Yep. So that brings us to one of the main thing, the main thing that we wanted to talk about today. And that was um, a report that came out um, through the Salt Lake Tribune that was reporting done by um, Eli Hager in ProPublica. And this story dropped last week on December 2nd. And I it's pretty insane. And the, the, the headline is, how has Utah saved $75 million on welfare by providing next to none and taking credit for LDS welfare instead? The state makes Super. aid so hard to get that some get baptized into the predominant faith in order to obtain health, help. So we're going to go through uh, some of the stuff that's uh, reported in here. I don't know if we're going to read the whole thing. Um it's a little lengthy, but there are there's a lot of good reporting in here. So if people if we don't get through the whole thing, I highly recommend highly recommend people check it out. But um, I'll start from the beginning here, which has an anecdote about someone who experienced uh, this very thing. Near the start of the pandemic, in a gentrifying neighborhood of the Salt Lake of Salt Lake City, visitors from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints arrived at D- Danielle Bellamy's doorstep. They were there to have a read out loud from the faith's signature scripture, the Book of Mormon, which watched Latter Day Saint videos and set a date to get baptized. All of which she says the church was requiring her to do in exchange for giving her food. 
Bellamy, desperate for help, had tried applying for cash assistance from the state of Utah, but she'd been denied for not being low income enough, an outcome that has been, become increasingly common ever since then Bill, uh, then President Bill Clinton signed a law t- 25 years ago that he said would end, quote, welfare as we know it. Vote blue no Thank matter you, Bill who, Clinton. baby. Just another, like, I mean, <laughs> this shit really, like, I mean, the stuff that Bill Clinton did, like... I know Hillary was uh, different, is obviously a different person, but like people have like associations with the Clintons that uh, you really just can't get past sometimes. And welfare reform is like one of like the worst things uh, that Bill Clinton did. But he's anyway. also a kid fucker. Well, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. State employees then explicitly recommended to Bellamy that she ask for welfare from the church instead. She and her family members said in interviews that Bellamy and her family were on the verge of homelessness. The rent on their apartment continued to rise, a result of Utah being the fastest growing state of the nation. Again, something that is never mentioned when we have these like insane discussions about uh, um, inflation or anything like like you'll you'll never hear it like Spencer Cox uh, talk about how the Utah way is supposed to help, uh, you know, make anything affordable. That's never part of the conversation. <clears throat> A trend driven by, in part, young upper middle class people from California and elsewhere flocking to Salt Lake City's snow-capped slopes for now to enjoy its outdoor activities, technology jobs, and low taxes. Worse, Bellamy suffers from a severe auto-inflammatory disease and barely able to stand is regularly hospitalized for days at a time. Her younger daughter, Jaden, had to drop out of high school to care for her, helping her get up, lie down, bathe, and change change out the wound vacuums attached to her body. Although maintaining a safety net for the poor is the government's job, welfare in Utah has become so entangled with the state's dominant religion that the agency in charge of public assistance here counts a percentage of welfare provided by the LDS Church toward the state's own welfare spending, according to a memorandum of understanding between the church and the state obtained by ProPublica. What that means is that over the past decade, the Utah legislature has been able to get out of spending at least $75 million on fighting poverty that it would otherwise have had to spend under federal law, a review of budget document shows. The church's extensive, highly regarded welfare program is centered at a place called Welfare Square, ensconced among warehouses of the Salt Lake City's west side. There, poor people, provided they obtain approval from the, their grocery list by a, from a lay bishop who oversees a congregation, can get orders of food for free from the bishop's storehouse, as well as buy low-priced clothing and furniture from a church-owned All Desert right. Industries hold, thrift store. Hold it right there, because sure. y- your shopping list is approved, not by a dietitian, not right. by anyone with any sort of medical training, just some some dipshit who just got picked to be the leader of the ward. Like that's insane in itself. Just yeah. some fucking guy named Gary. Yeah. Yep. God. Yep. Uh, bishops can also authorize temporary cash assistance for rent, car payments, and the like. Recipients often have to volunteer for the church in order to obtain the aid. <laughs> So, uh, and again, this is a church that has a hundred billion dollar, uh, just fund. Yeah. Sitting around. Yeah. So there's, yeah, I'll save some of my thoughts for later as we get through some more of this, but yeah, there, uh, there's, there's a lot of themes at play here. Welfare Square was built in 1938 to depression an international repudiation by church leaders of government welfare as epitomized by then president Franklin Roosevelt's new deal. 
we quote, take care of our own, they famously said. But Bellamy, a black single mother, is not one of the church's own. And unlike the government, a church is often allowed to discriminate based on religion. The bishop of her local congregation called a ward decided that as a precondition of receiving welfare, she would have to read, understand, and embrace Latter-day Saint scripture, Bellamy told ProPublica. Church representatives came by her apartment to decide what individual food items she did and did not need while pressuring her to attend Sunday services, she said. That's insane. A church spokesperson who was not authorized to speak on the record for the story said that Bellamy's is just one experience and there are likely thousands of Utahns who would swear by the help that they've received from the church and the guidance they've been given toward a more self-sufficient life. He said that because some bishops are more rigid about providing aid than others, some people may wind up in situations like Bellamy's, but that, in, but that most in the church default to compassion. The spokesperson also said that the conversations about welfare are between individuals like Bellamy and others whose stories also appear in this article and their bishop, and that the church would not break what it regards as sacred confidentiality. Yes, Bellamy they would. Co oh, sorry. Oh, yes, they would. I mean, they would yeah. definitely do that. Definitely. Bellamy cooperated at first with what is being asked of her. She felt she would go along if that's what I needed to do for some type of goodness to come to my family, she said, adding that she knew that many in her community had benefited greatly from church welfare and their Latter-day Saint faith. Yet she ultimately balked, especially at the thought of being baptized in front of strangers. I'm sorry, she said. I don't believe in it, and it's important what I believe in. For her refusal, she says, she and her family were denied welfare by the church just as they had been by the state. So that anecdote kind of sets the tone for where things are headed. And like a, a lot of people, when this story broke online, were sharing a lot of similar experiences um, to varying degrees, right? Like there are people who grew up in the church um, and stayed in the church longer or continued going to church even when they didn't want to anymore, or thinking or were making the decision that they wanted to leave, but needed the help that the state was refusing to provide. So they continued going to church in order to receive that assistance because, I mean, Jordan pointed it out, but it's like, it, it's not like the people that are making these decisions and this article will later go into that a bit more, but it's like, it's, it comes down to the bishop themselves, right? So anything that influences that, that bishop's personal views on, uh, on anything, uh, welfare, just being one of those things, they can decide like maybe a bishop uh, is very anti-welfare <laughs> and yet is the person being put in charge of uh, quite literally being in like a, the church or the entire state, uh, their welfare system is being funneled through a bunch of these guys um, who what, believe these, these things. What so. it comes down to for the most part is, and this isn't just the LDS church and it isn't just Utah either. It's that, about especially 40 years ago on from the Reagan era onward, like we started turning over a lot of like the social good for the poor, for anyone in need really to religious organizations. Yeah. And yeah. they said it was like, Oh, it was an efficiency thing. It's a, it's a thing that we can, you know, allow them to do because since they're not in the government they're they move faster, they're allowed to do anything. But what it really is, is it's control. Because yeah. when it's you, a, it's a hostage situation, like they're more, just keeping these people captive. It's more than just that too. It's essentially you, a government is not allowed to deny aid to people, but religion yeah. is. 
Yeah, oh, that's, I mean, and that's the big thing, like, especially like a religion that is so anti-gay and anti-trans and has such a long history of racism and like ultra conservative politics. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they built welfare square as a repudiation of the new deal. I mean, how exactly. much more reactionary can you get? Like you yeah. were in the midst of like capitalism co- collapsing in the 1930s and the church was like, well, we're going to do our own thing. So, you know, good, good luck with that whole recovery thing. We're just going to not buy into that Roosevelt, and, you devil. And here we are almost a hundred years later under fairly similar circumstances, you know, with capitalism continuing to to crumble and, you know, they're just they're giving this to this yeah. private organization and, and letting them pick and choose with with their own discretion. It's it's just it's, it's it, so heartless. It's just disgusting. And like, I just don't I look at this and I don't see like, how is this not criminal coercion? I know it's not yeah, because so, they legalized it. I mean, yeah, like once again, like. Uh, if a public official denies aid to a black person or to an LGBTQ person or to a single mother or something like that, that's illegal. But if you yeah, turn right. over the mechanisms of any sort of like social welfare safety net that you might possibly have to a private organization that you that you just uh, contract through, you can do Boom. all sorts of crazy things. And it's it doesn't legal. matter. Yeah, it's yeah. completely legal. Like that's why like yeah. Catholic hospitals don't have provide provide like any sort of like birth control or any mm-hmm. sort of like reproductive health rights or anything like that, because that's well within their rights to do that under like what we allow them to do. And yet we still give them money from the government for some unknown reason. And yeah. Right. And so like one, I mean, it's, that's true. And it's exactly right. Because, you know, we live in a community in which it is not uncommon for parents to kick their kids out who are gay. Right. And when you kick your kids out for being gay, you know, the, and they can't get government assistance. Like they're relying on the church, but a church who doesn't believe, you know, but that believes being gay is a sin. Like, you know, it's, it's like a two edged sword. You have your parents kicking you out at home. You have the church who's not willing to provide you welfare. And Utah has a really high homeless LGBTQ like teen population for a reason. They have no recourse. They have nowhere to go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And like this whole breaking it down into, uh, and like pulling it away from any type of like safety net and giving it to the states instead uh, as like a means of like what they will what they argue as like it's local control and we know our constituents better so like we should handle this type of thing I mean the same thing they did to Medicaid that essentially like with the block grants to make any type of like federal uh, like health insurance or whatever or health care um, like really difficult. So even though the the federal government can do a Medicaid expansion, there are states that just choose to not use that money. Utah being one of those to an extent, and Idaho just to the north being another really good example. Um, yeah. So it uh, continues here. Um, when the nineteen ninety or what the nineteen ninety six welfare reform law did in essence was dramatically shrink the safety net for the poorest Americans while leaving what aid remained in the hands of individual states, issuing each a block grant of federal welfare funding and significant discretion on how to spend or not spend the cash, which, as I mentioned, is what they did with Medicaid. Ever since, welfare has taken on each state's personality. 
Can't see how that would go wrong. There's perhaps no better place to examine the past and future of public assistance than Utah, the only state with a private welfare system to rival the government's. After all, the welfare program of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints served as a model for the welfare reform movement of the 80s and 90s and when it was spotlighted by then-President Ronald Reagan during a visit to LDS welfare facilities in the writings of a young conservative named Tucker Carlson. I, I can't wait to see Ronald Reagan in hell. Yeah, it'll be great. Uh, dap him yes. up and thank yeah, him for all we, he did. A, a model from the guy who quote or who came up with the term welfare queen. We love mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. great that it was modeled after this. Yeah, that's 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 the guy we're trying to impress here. And once again, like this article is full of these dog whistles too, like the self sustainment or yep. like independence or you know. It, it's it's full of the same keywords that came out of like the, the 80s with the Cadillac welfare queen as well. Like, yeah, yeah, it's still very racialized and also very like gendered terms towards towards like they think there's the single mom who's just on the land because she's too lazy to get a job and then just pops out a bunch of kids. That's exactly yep. how they see like the welfare recipient. Yep. And, yep. and and that's how they moralize. They dehumanize people to the point where they can moralize not giving them aid. Yep. This is a, uh, yeah. So listen to this. The first thing Utah did under the 1996 law was to become an increasingly close fisted about helping poor people, creating a labyrinthine system of, of employment and self-improvement programs that applicants must partake in, including resume writing seminars, screenings for drug use, counseling sessions, and continual paperwork as well as strict income limits they must not surpass. As of 2019, the state was providing direct assistance to about 3,000 families out of nearly 30,000 living in poverty, a precipitous decline from the mid-1990s when Utah's program served roughly 60% of parents and children. Did you guys hear a high-pitched whistle, or was it just me? Uh, That was pretty loud, I think. Um, Can't really ignore that one. Utah denied welfare applications on average more than 1,300 times every month last year, including during the pandemic. The the thing I just I can't get over, like we've talked about how like welfare has just taken the shape of like the states individually. And like, am I like, look and see who's in the Utah legislature. It's, it's just nothing well. but like rich white people. <laughs> like, am I yeah. supposed to believe like Kirk Cullimore, who's a fucking lawyer for like landlords has anything in common with Danielle Bellamy or knows exactly like what a person like Danielle Bellamy needs? No, it's, it's utterly fucking asinine. And I know we say it a lot on this podcast, but like the cruelty is the point. He he knows enough about her to extract any possible wealth out of her. Yeah. And just squeezing uh, blood from that stone. Well, and so I, um, you know, I had my daughter, she was born when I was 20 years old. I had been in college for one year, um, when my daughter was born and it was not, plans um it was a surprise um and you know we needed her mom and i we needed that assistance uh you know we had chip which helped cover the the pregnancy you know health insurance for the pregnancy and the birth and you know there was a time we were on uh, you know medicaid and uh food stamps and things like that uh, that were such a critical lifeline to me and so I always see these kind of things very personally, right? You know, like when somebody is like, oh, well, it's these lazy people who don't want to like do any work. And it's like, I I needed help. 
Like yeah. I, I was in, I was in dire straits. I it was desperate, you know, like I, I had, I had a kid who needed help too. And, you know, I, I couldn't be where I am today now. Like you, we don't get to call me Dr. Colin Young without that aid at that no. time. I couldn't have 100%. gone to school. I couldn't have done anything that I was able to achieve. And so the, the moralizing of like how bad someone must be to need aid. It's not like I loved needing it. Right. Right. Like I, like, and so it, it really, it, it, it's so personal to me when someone is like, Oh, well, if you need aid, you just must be lazy. And it, it couldn't be further from the truth. It's so dehumanizing. It, it has no context for, you know, like, like, you know, like, uh, you know, an, an unplanned pregnancy is one thing that conservatives would be like, well, you shouldn't have been having sex in an abstinence only state. Right. So I was already a bad person for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but like, if you had a, I, I just can't like, what could you tell someone with a long-term health problem that has, that has nothing to do with them? Exactly. Like, like you, like you talk about like the dehumanizing nature of it, just like that, that, that paragraph I just read about like the, the courses required or whatever, like as if people have to put in, like any level of work to just get a date, like just be seen as worth something is just insane to me. Like yeah, this, you're did, not, yeah. it, I don't like whether or not you like are going to school and uh, like, like your path calling or just not. And like, it doesn't matter either way. Like there's still like a baseline of humanity there. That's just not recognized by so much of this. Um, and to Greg's point earlier, uh, this next paragraph, Utah doesn't do more for those in need in part because of a contingent of its lawmakers, the overwhelming majority of whom are Latter-day Saints themselves, assume the church is handling the poverty issue. They also are loath to raise you're just, taxes. You're just assuming. Yeah. They also are loath to raise taxes to do the state share. A view of Utah's legislature history demonstrates. We have a historic budget surplus right now. <clears throat> yeah, listen to this part, though. Thanks to... The LDS Church's welfare system, literally millions, tens of millions, and maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars are saved by the state, former state Senator Stuart Reed said in 2011 when the legislature passed a resolution honoring the church welfare on its 75th anniversary. We're 50th in yeah. per child or per student spending. Yeah, uh, it, it's OK. So continuing, indeed, Utah has been counting millions in church welfare work every year as part of the state's own welfare budget as a way of meeting the minimum level of effort the state is required to put into addressing poverty so it can collect on federal dollars from the temporary assistance for needy families program are tamped. According to the memorandum of understanding between the church and the state, Utah takes credit for a percentage of the hours the church volunteers spend producing and packaging food and clothing for the poor at Welfare Square and similar facilities. So they aren't even doing the bare minimum. They're doing well under the bare minimum and then taking credit for the church's work in order taking to meet that bare lab. minimum. They're taking also, credit for yeah. humanitarian aid that goes out of state too. That's, yeah. That was the point that I was like, you know, the aid is supposed to be given to those people in the state. And instead, the state is getting credit to sending it yep. to wherever else that they want, which yeah. is unbelievable. They're outsourcing welfare. Yeah. So they have like the full document in here. And then this next line, as you guys just pointed out, claims that a state welfare is a percentage of the church elf efforts to produce and ship out humanitarian aid in the wake of disasters. 
aid that may not even help you tons, of course. Awesome. <clears throat> Super awesome. And, yeah. And like, uh, I just, just to your point again, Colin, about like the dehumanization, like there are already so many like qualifying factors to get state assistance here in Utah. And then that you have to go to like an extra level. And like, if you don't get baptized, like you have to go and like spend your Saturdays scrubbing toilets at an LDS church, you know, or like mopping the basketball court. And it's just like, like there are so many parallels to just like slave yeah. labor and like right. well, just, and just, just, so, just so a bishop can say like, yeah, you know what? You can get a bag of chips this weekend. Well, yeah. and like, just imagine if you're disabled or, right. you know, have, have some sort of long-term sickness or you've got childcare that you need to do on the weekends. Like the fact that they're then re- requiring this exactly. extra work on top of all the other burdens that you probably have in your life is insane. This is, you yes. need the help to get out from under those burdens. You this, can't burden somebody with more stuff to get them out of like, exactly. out of it. This is a state that tried to put work requirements on Medicaid. Who the yeah. fuck do you think is on Medicaid? Yep. Yeah. Right. Listen. And yeah, like, exactly. Speaking of dog whistles, well, listen to this. Officials at Utah's public agent, excuse me, Utah's at you. God damn it. Officials at Utah's public assistance agency, which after welfare, welfare reform was named the Department of Workforce Services. So just like thinking of these dog whistles, they had something called the public assistant agency which got just changed to department of workforce services as if like that they weren't being any more clear about what the uh the stipulation is to receive any type of help said they do not know how long they've had this third party understanding with the church but they emphasize that it's legal under the 1996 law and subsequent federal regulations and other states engage in the same practice that law was the first federal legislation to allow and encourage religious groups to be involved in the provision of government funded social services a uh, policy that was championed by then Senator John Ashcroft and later President George Bush. And ProPublica found that the deal with the church ha- was brokered in 2009 during the Great Recession when Utah hired a for profit company called Public Consulting Group Incorporated to identify private organizations that could help the state spend less on welfare while still receiving the full federal funding, according there, to Utah's contract. With there's them. always a fucking consultant group somewhere. You always got a bunch of like of course, Pete Buttigieg's judges yeah. running around, making sure that they're <laughs> fucking doing this type of shit. It's no, just, it's amazing. I, I just also fucking just fucking change the state name to McKinsey. <laughs> I love it. Just no, fucking I, do it. I, I just love that uh, Department of Workforce Services had that name change because <laughs> I think we're just about one name change away from like the Department of Work will make you free. Um, <laughs> oh, <Jesus. laughs> Damn the fucking department of Auschwitz. Yeah, uh, yeah, pr- pr- pretty good. Um, yeah, so let's see. Uh, you would explain to them, "quote Have you talked to an LDS bishop?" said Robert Martinez, an eligibility worker for the Department of Workforce Services from 13 to 2019. Martinez said he always gave applicants other non-governmental options to consider, and there was no coercion to go to the the religious route. Still, he emphasized to them, the church has a lot more money to offer than the minimal aid dispensed by the state. In fact, the church appears to have more money than what is, by most accounts, the largest philanthropic organization in the world, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. That is true. Liz Carver, Director of Workforce Development at the Department of Workforce Services and the lead TANF official at the agency, acknowledged in multiple interviews that caseworkers might, in some instances, propose church welfare to customers, which is what the department calls citizens who apply for public assistance. They call customers. Them customers. Ugh. 
what a gross terminology there to somebody who just like needs aid. I know customer like that. You're just being a smart consumer and who you're choosing to receive aid from, I that's, guess. That's right up there with human capital stock. Yeah. Oh. But she said welfare case workers, not just in Utah, but nationwide refer to applicants to a range of community organizations, faith-based or not faith-based or not all the time. It's part of a larger conversation with these individuals about what brought them to ask for help that day. She said, and about which needs the government can assist with under federal regulations and which it can't, or in Utah's case, uh, refuse to. Not necessarily that they cannot, they just choose not to uh, and push it onto the church instead. Um, yeah, let's see. So regarding the state's fiscal arrangement with the church, we'd have to ask the state legislature for more money if we couldn't count on this, par- on this partnership towards state welfare. I mean, we could be counting millions of hours of church members, volunteers, time, bishops helping their communities, all that stuff. She continued, suggesting that the current amount of church assistance that Utah is claiming as the state is minimal and necessary. Um, I think the thing that really bothers me about that is like, you know, like the volunteer hours that they're claiming are like helping like people in their neighborhoods, which is like great. Yeah. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I'll give the LDS church, you know, credit. They'll send boys out to shovel old lady sidewalks. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. that, that's great service. Uh, but like, are they doing that in Latino neighborhoods? No. Are they doing that? You know what I mean? Like yeah. the people who are primarily receiving aid are also LDS by the majority of these hours as well. Taking care of their own. Yes. <laughs> as they said. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Christina Davis, communication director for the department, added in an emailed statement that the fact that caseworkers may refer Utahns to the church and other private groups is a separate unrelated issue from the state's budgetary agreement with the church welfare program. She also stressed that tens of thousands of low income households in Utah receive other forms of help from the state, including food stamps and Medicaid. Finally, Davis pointed out the number of poor people who were provided direct assistance has been significantly scaled back, not just in Utah, but also across the country. I wonder what that's indicative of, but probably nothing to look into there. The problem with Utah's dependence on church aid to pick up that slack, civil rights advocates say, is that is although the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, once instructed his membership to clothe the naked and feed the hungry wherever they are, quote, in this church or in any other or in no church at all, the thousands of individual bishops who today run point for Latter-day Saint welfare services may have different views. Most are continually generous with aid assistance to poor people who are not Latter-day Saints or to LGBTQ people, even in some cases turning away struggling church members who haven't been attending services or paying 10% of their income to the church in tithes. Again, hostage situation. Yeah. Yeah, So it's like, oh, you're struggling financially, but did you pay 10% of your income? Well, if you didn't do that, then we can't help you financially. Like, what a fucking catch-22 that is. Yeah. Like, if you want money, you have to pay more money than we're going to give you to get money from us. Like, that's that's fucking insanity. Yeah. What, and, what, what lovely welfare there would be shame if something happened to it. Yep. It, listen, uh, it's okay to change money at the temple, all right? I don't know where you guys are getting this idea from that it's totally, like, come on. There's not, like, anything in the Bible about that at all. Not even a little bit. Like, not the one part of the Bible where Jesus got really pissed off and started whipping people. <laughs> so this last piece, of uh, the last part of this section of this article, um, it continues. It says, there's, quote, there's this term in the church called Bishop Roulette, said David Smurfway, a former bishop in Salt Lake City, referring to the differing cho- choices about welfare that get made by each bishop in congregations across the state. 
Smirthwaite said that the church leadership did equip him with a slate of questions to ask low-income people who came to his office asking for help, but he said bishops are, quote, not professional welfare providers, not professional therapists, yet we get put in the hot seat for these kind of experiences. Bishops are called to their lay role on a temporary basis, typically for around five years. And unlike most clergy and other faiths, they often have day jobs. And like with everyone else, their politics can infuse their religion. There's also much less accountability than there would be for a government program. Welfare decisions by bishops are subject mainly to the broad tenets of the church's general handbook, usually with counsel from other church leaders, but with oversight, with, but without oversight from the public. Quote, if a state's premier social safety net is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, said W. Paul Reeve, chair of Mormon studies at the University of Utah, what does that mean if you are not one? Womp womp. It means nothing yeah. good because... Yeah, that, that, as we've established, like you're not in the club, so good luck. Yeah, and so the day this came out online, like there was like a lot of argument and and uh, talk about this, obviously. And I think like what Colin just pointed out uh, was a good way of illustrating that, like like kind of what we're talking about here. Like the church, the church is going to do what it's going to do, and it does what it does when it comes to the help that it provides people, and there's a certain level of freedom that's given to religions in this country where they are able to, I mean, like they are, they're allowed to choose who they want to get help to just by the structure of this country, just by the structure of how religion exists, religious institutions exist in this country. They are legally allowed to discriminate with the help that they provide if, if they so choose. And there's just, not a lot of democratic control that it, you or I, anyone listening to this, the four of us on this podcast or anyone else in the state has over that. We're not members of the church. We don't really have a say in what they do in a lot of senses. But the fact is that we uh, are member, we are citizens of this state in this country that is actively shirking their duties and passing them off to this institution that has those type of discriminatory practices and who they choose to disseminate help out to. And that's where like, this is a big fucking problem. Like I'm not surprised that bishops are requiring people to get baptized or uh, when you, I mean, people have insane politics. And of course that, as, as I pointed out, infuses their religious views as well. And those things are likely never separated. And that is precisely why they should not be in charge of disseminating out welfare because they are not able to be, uh, they are not objective um, people in these situations. And more importantly, they have no accountability to anyone uh, at all <laughs> in this situation, democratically speaking. So, uh, yeah, that's the bigger problem here. Like I'm, I'm, I'm fully expecting the church to do this, to continue to do this. But the fact that our state is, uh, taking credit for this and not giving welfare, uh, in lieu of this is a massive, massive fucking problem. IMO, but maybe that's just me. God. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 absolutely infuriating. And that, that statistic of, you know, in the 1990s of providing 60% of families in poverty with aid to now to barely 10%. Yeah. That's abysmal. That is so pathetic. There's no way the church has made up the difference for that many people. And really all they've done is found a loophole to not help people. Uh, and especially through times like the Great Recession and the pandemic, like the most morally like heinous times to, to be like, nope, we're just going to leave people on their own. 
um, to, to suffer through things that, that they have no control over whatsoever is it's sickening. It's morally disgusting. Yeah. And on, on top of that, like, I just, I want to know where the fucking money is. Like th- this report has said that, that Utah has saved millions and millions of dollars. Where, where is that money? Where is that going to? Or is it just like, and- is it just in like some offshore bank somewhere? And like, I don't know, we're going to never use it. Or I don't know, like we'll, build another fucking lane on i-15 it's gonna be i invite you to come see the inland port when it's done it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be the new daybreak that takes over the uh prison oh yeah that's right they're built like they'll put in a new strip mall that has like home goods and uh like fucking like tillies or whatever and they'll put that there that's where (laughs) that's where that's gonna go greg and you're gonna love it it'll it'll go the same place i I do love tillies i mean It goes the same place it always does. It goes tax cuts. It goes to real estate development. It goes to uh, services that the state doesn't really need, like the inland port, and like, you know, sustaining shale oil the excavation or whatever bullshit they come up with as a new cause du jour for the Republican Party. So the hey, Landlord don't forget. Association of America. One other really important place it goes, police budgets. Yeah. Uh, Hell yes. yes. Yeah. The yeah. great the great welfare that is having the police come kick your ass for your psychotic episode. Yeah. On yeah. the next episode of Brigham Young Money. Oh. Yeah. Dot dot dot. Yep. Stay stay tuned. Watch this fucking space, I guess. Yeah. So the, the article the article continues and there's there's like some more anecdotes around people who experience certain things. Like it said, um, Let's see. Uh, ProPublica interviewed more than two dozen low-income Salt Lake City area residents about their experiences with Utah's safety net. Almost all who weren't active Latter-day Saints, and even many more who were, felt that welfare in Utah is religiously preju- uh, prejudicial, at least in practical terms, because the state has left a vacuum of social services that's filled by individual bishops and their potential biases. Candace Simpkins, who grew up in the church, says she struggled to pay her bills and afford groceries after the birth of her daughter, but knew from reading a state website that her income was slightly too high for her to qualify for public assistance. When she went to a bishop for help instead, she says she was told she wouldn't be in her situation if she hadn't had sex out of wedlock and that she would have to start attending church services. Feminist Latter-day Saints say that women especially are affected by the uh, capriciousness of, of welfare in Utah. Bishops all are all men and some view both premarital sex and divorce, which uh, each of which can lead to precarious finances as the fault of women, critics say. Um, and I, f- I feel like you could like extrapolate that out. Like how many people in this state believe things like, well, the reason you're in poverty in the first place is because you don't have a relationship with God. Yeah. Hundred percent. Oh, yeah, you're not so, a part. You're not a part of the only, the one and only true church. Yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. Utah is a great mix of prosperity gospel mixed with like just hard Calvinism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it continues. Mentions uh, a woman named Joe Alexander, who's lesbian, who feels that she was uh, denied. Um, who was who was desperate for a hotel room during a period of homelessness. Um, she contacted a bishop. She was raised LDS, and she was denied. Um, Miranda Twitchwell, who's currently homeless, has the rules and procedures for obtaining state aid are so convoluted and seemingly endless that she had nowhere to turn except for the church for immediate help when she needed food and a bed. 
And that's when she decided to follow a piece of advice shared on the streets, get baptized, get help. So some low income people in Salt Lake City say they have gotten baptized just to obtain welfare, even though they don't believe in the ritual. Most who have done so were afraid to speak on the record for the story, believing the church would learn that their conversion stories were inauthentic and retaliate them by not helping them in the future. As Um, they should be, because they would 100% do that. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, the, the LDS church spokesman spokesperson defended the faith's approach to welfare and in part by emphasizing that the church should not be confused with a government agency or considered a replacement for the government in the provision of the public assistance. Somebody should tell that to the fucking government then. Yeah. The um, government is like, that's our replacement. And then the church <laughs> is like, Oh, we're not the replacement for government assistance. Like, yeah. Uh, those like, wires, uh, seem to yeah, be getting crossed here. Something's yeah. Something's a little weird. Indeed. The church's general handbook clearly states that members should turn to the government first for financial help before going to their Bishop. Um, yeah. So let's see, I'm just scanning to see if there's anything else we want to mention here. Um, like I said, there's a few other things just like talking about these individual stories that, um, that people have experienced where, I mean, it's, there's a, there's this thing that a lot of, uh, that's, that's happened with a lot of government programs, like both federally and at the state level where they make them as convoluted and as like just hard to use as possible in order to, for that to be a deterrent in and of itself to get people to not use them. Um, and then to just as use as an example of how government doesn't work and then look like private led organizations like the church is able to respond so quickly and so efficiently, um, which of course all of this is done by design, right? Like, it's it's a it's policy choices top to bottom that that are the reason that gov- these government programs are so convoluted and annoying. And as some of those people pointed out, uh, when you're desperate for a hotel room, for instance, um, you know you need fast help, and in it's been set up uh, like it is here to where the only people that can provide quick help uh, when the state is refusing to do so is the church, and then of course you're subject to the rules they might impose on you. Um, when you get that help or if you'd like to get that help. Um, let's see. I think this gets to a point of one thing I hate uh, generally about the way people view charity in yeah. general is that like, if you're going to help someone, like I feel like you, a lot of people help someone as a matter of control. Mm-hmm. I helped you. So now I get to decide what happens. I'm controlling you. You have to do X, you have to do Y. Whereas really like the fundamental tenet of charity should be to help to help. Right. Like if I give somebody cash, it's, it's because I'm like, uh, like I'm, I'm giving it to you. It, sh- it shouldn't come with terms and conditions. Right. Right. Like I'm just helping you. That's, that's charity. Yep. Like asking somebody to do something for that help is control. That's not yeah. charity. And it, it, like those two things are not the same. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, these last couple of pieces here, um, are just really painful to read, but, uh, even some lifelong church members in the Salt Lake City area told ProPublica that they were denied welfare by the church for religious reasons. Amberlyn Robinson, who had been such a loyal churchgoer that she says she missed services only twice that she can remember during her entire childhood, fell deep into medical debt as a young woman after having a miscarriage that was nearly as expensive as it was traumatizing. She looked at her family's finances and decided the only way to pay the bills would be to less consistent about tithing 10% on the limited income from her then-husband's two jobs in retail even though she worried God would smite her as a consequence. Her bishop then denied her financial assistance, citing her failure to pay tithes as one reason, 
which left Robinson baffled as to how an inability to afford tithing could show anything but her need, she says, and made her so resentful that she ultimately left the faith. Danielin Lavorson, who was also born and raised in the church, struggles with rent and bills as the cost of living in and around Salt Lake City surges. Her husband, who has several who has severe disabilities that add to the family's expenses, is a fan of the supernatural. He volunteers at a haunted house. Halloween is his Christmas, and he has intense tattoos. When he asked the bishop for help, Lavorson says the bishop responded by criticizing his alternative lifestyle and dark clothing. I hear on the news all the time that the church is shipping food to other countries, she says, adding that she could completely understands and supports those efforts given the poverty in the world. But this is supposed to be their golden city here, she says, and this is how they do us. Whew, yeah, so, um, I mean, there's a few things left in this article uh, that just kind of continues following on some of those same themes. But, um, I mean, the church declined to comment really on on most of these things on a lot of these things um and specifically on you know the push to get state uh like the church work to be counted as state welfare um and yeah like for, for a brief period during barack obama's presidency the administration and congress were both moving to prevent states from quote gaming the system by counting outside spending as their own but Representative Tom Price from Georgia, who went on to briefly head the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services under President Donald Trump, helped kill the legislation that would have ended the practice. Because states are, lar are largely allowed to count welfare dollars how they want, Utah has also been able to spread this money around its lawmakers' favorite projects. There you go, Greg. <laughs> Many of Great. which are aimed at preventing low-income people from having sex out of wedlock rather than providing them with direct aid. This is despite mounting evidence that cash assistance alleviates poverty much more effectively than less direct interventions like parenting classes. You know, it's it's absolutely amazing the 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 steps and the amount of hoops that the 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 state and federal government will jump through and jump over to avoid helping people. When really wouldn't it just be so much easier to just help people in need? You'd think I mean, well, yeah, you think like the just the sheer amount of bullshit that they do, whether it's it's laws or privatizing everything and like, you know, just this laundry list of things they do to avoid helping people is utterly astounding. Well, and like this is where it all just starts to like make my brain feel like it's going to explode because right. the, the whole the whole what we started this episode with was Roe v. Wade. So you don't allow women to have abortions. Now they have to carry pregnancies to term. If they decide to keep that child, they may, they may not have the financial resources to do it. They can't apply for state aid. But now the church is saying, well, you are an awful person because you had sex out of wedlock, wed, wedlock so we're not going to provide you aid either. So like it, it, it just like what what can people do at some point right like you, you are either a great member of the church or anything else and you are unworthy of any help for any reason and i think that's the way a lot of these lawmakers would view that but like i, I don't like it just it drives me crazy because like for the roe v wade thing um as you said amy amy kobe bryant um, as you called her earlier, uh, <laughs> um, you know, she had this whole statement about how, oh, well, you know, the, we now have, you know, 
foster systems in every state that can that can take these kids. And I think, who's going to fucking fund them? <laughs> you can't throw a whole bunch of more kids into these under already underfunded foster systems and say you're doing a good job. It just, like, none of the numbers add up. None of the numbers add up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it, yeah, this, it feels like an extended campaign to just make poverty be just a... Uh, another thing that you can overlook and just try and push those peoples to the margins even more than you already are. So they just disappear. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> like, if yeah, you listen, like, I, this yeah. last one, this is the one I'm going to end on. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's, it's one last anecdote from a woman named Michelle Lowe. Michelle grew up in the faith, but says she had a dysfunctional home life and became addicted to drugs while still a child and then became homeless. She's now trying not to ask the state for help because of the strict lifetime limit on receiving aid. Which, my God, uh, she wants to be able to apply for it down the road if she needs to. But she says she could use the aid to buy warm clothes and shoes to pay her cousin rent so she'd have somewhere to live indoors. Instead, Lowe asked the church for assistance despite the many moral and intellectual questions she's had since childhood about church doctrine. But a bishop she spoke with said he couldn't help her unless she made the choice to live together with and marry her child's father, she says. The bishop said they could be married right in his office, to which Lowe said... He isn't the right guy for me, and I also don't want to get married in an office. See, she says, it's always, we'll help you if. So. Says it all. Yeah. Yeah, and like, again, like, that's not surprising coming from, like, the church itself, but it's like, this is the state-sponsored program. This is, like, what's taking the place of actual state safety net (laughs) but i mean we've we've talked about this this is the this is the republican end game yeah it is it is it is sowing like distrust in the public sector and and it is destroying the public sector so that they can privatize things and they can just continue to enrich themselves and their friends and their donors and just squeeze as much blood out of that stone as possible i mean it's a democratic game too right like this is like this is like a result of welfare reform that came out of the clinton administration and like that's totally i mean it has such a small microcosm of like how so like government is really viewed right now but just like I was just thinking about how uh, I was just thinking about government working when I was talking earlier. And like, I, I was thinking about just like yesterday, or the day before when someone brought up to Jen Psaki about how like, oh, we should just do what other countries are doing and mail out like every person, uh, you know, seven rapid tests for COVID that they could use whenever they see fit, they can request them or whatever. And she's like, how much would that cost? Like, well, you want us to just mail people COVID tests or whatever. And it's like, yeah, like that's like we're yes. in a global pandemic. So the, the concept of government even working is like so beyond the realm of imagination for like the mainstream political uh, forces that we are that we're that we live under. Like just the it's so like the fact that this fucking old ass dude that lives in Vermont advocating for just like the baseline social dem- democratic uh policies and safety nets that any like functioning country should have was seen as like an extreme maoist takeover of the democratic party or whatever it's just enough to tell you that how many how how little these people think of of like what the actual what we owe each other quite honestly as in a society like it's so sick man i just hate it i hate it so much it's it makes me just really sick uh just 
the dehumanizing, as Colin put it earlier, just the um, this inability to really recognize people's humanity for what it is and not necessarily the value of their output or like their labor or the human capital or whatever. Like, that's not what makes someone worth something, <laughs> you know, like it's, ah, man. Anyway, right. so yeah, there's a, there's a baseline level of humanity that everyone deserves. Yeah. And apparently it's, it's very uh, normal to think that they only deserve that if they're willing to, uh, not have sex outside of marriage and make sure that if you get divorced or you stay married to your children's uh, parents, I think. So, sorry, Colin, unfortunately, uh, you're getting, you're getting cut off. So that's all right. I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, my time as a welfare queen. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I looked great. Um, I seem to remember you driving like a really nice car at that time. Dude, I know I had, yeah, I had, uh, a, I had a brand new, you know, this is, this is like 2008 ish. So I had one of those brand new escalades. Oh, right. That's right. Oh, with, the, just, with the spinning rims and we had just you had the, seen, you had the spree wells. Yeah. yeah my God. Was, we had just was seen. Paid oh, for, so sick. Yeah. Paid we had just for seen by Fast your government tax together. dollars. Yeah, I'm so glad we saw Fast and Furious together in order to inspire you to grab to grab something like that. I remember wow. that day. That was awesome. The government paid for me to go to the movies. They paid for everything. Yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah. You got that Obama phone? That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it's just I don't know, man. It's it's painful to, to I mean so like, and I knew there was like a level of this that was taking place here. Like I I'm I'm familiar with people's stories like dealing with like, you know, uh, trying to get help from the church. I wasn't aware to the extent at which this was literally like a state program, essentially. Um, and it's very, uh, very concerning. Um, no, I, I haven't seen any local politicians talking about this. Not sure who would, um, <laughs> quite honestly. Uh, it's not going to be brought up by anyone that's Republican. I haven't seen any Democrats talking about it, but uh, so this is just like, this is the reality here. And there's like, honestly, nothing that can change it except voting harder. I think is what we were told. So well, as Spencer Cox said, you should just vote for different people. Yeah, that's right. If you feel like you're being gerrymandered, you should vote for people that feel like you are also being gerrymandered so they can change that. So, yeah, which I, I, God, that's just like the most disgusting thing in the world. Yep. Anyway, well, I think that's uh, a good place to end it. And you guys, any final thoughts? Colin, thank you for joining us, my friend. I I do have one thing. Yeah. Go ahead, Colin. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I've left this couch not very often. (laughs) So live live from my couch, uh, ice pack right next to me. Oh, that's good. Greg? Yeah. I uh, just wanted to let everybody know that I am uh, I'm still coordinating holiday donation pickups for Salt Lake Mutual Aid. Uh, I should be starting to make the rounds for pickups sometime next week. So if you would like to donate, whether it's clothes or shoes or blankets, jackets, hand sanitizers, diapers, baby wipes, baby formula, cleaning supplies, whatever it is that you have, I'm happy to take. Um, hit me up on Twitter at dad sham dad. And, um, we can coordinate a time where I can come pick that stuff up from you and we can help some people in need. Thank you. Cool. 
Jordan, any final thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to ship out all your decals this week. So nice. That's about it. My Eat the Rich sticker's coming. Hell yeah, yeah. I told you. Well, Sarah's yes. is. I told you. You're not getting one. You were mean to me. <laughs> I like this thing that that we that we do where uh, that where Jordan designs something that people like, make a sticker out of it, people buy it, and we funnel their money toward causes that we want to spend their money on. I I like that a lot. It makes me happy. That's right. We're funding. <laughs> shush, shut up shush they're not supposed to know thanks guys appreciate it great episode <laughs> all right we'll see everyone next time bye some people say a man is made out of mud a poor man's made out of muscle and blood muscle and blood and skin and bone a mind that's weak and a back that's strong You load 16 tons and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store I was born one morning when the sun didn't shine I picked up my shovel and I walked to the mine I loaded 16 tons of number 9 coal And the straw ball said, well, bless my soul You load 16 tons, and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store company store.